0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. And joining us is a, uh, geez, he's an author, a publisher. He's, uh, he's the leader of the United States of America, Ron Chepsek. How you doing?
1: Hey, I'm doing fine. Al. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> Good. So, you're, you're, I, I hear you're running for uh, pre- president this year.
1: Uh, I've been thinking about it. Throw my hat in. Uh, probably, probably, uh, I would probably disappear in, in the plethora uh, of candidates that are out there. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, including the janitor on, on janitor in my building here, is uh, running for uh, president. Well,
0: anybody's qualified, really. It makes it that yeah. way. Well,
1: know. with the current uh, occupant, that's very true.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm sort I'm sort of glad actually. There hasn't been a whole lot of celebrity uh, trying to uh, to jump in there, not yet, anyway. Like, uh, uh, no, you know, no. I don't want to see Oprah or any of those people jump in there. You know, but
1: Oprah's been kind of quiet. You know, usually they always bring your name up. Somebody brings your name up. You know, as a candidate. And then, you know, she'll, she'll hang around for a while, and then she'll she'll shoot it down, you know, and say, no, I'm not a candidate. But you're right. Well, I've heard, uh, you know, Alex Baldwin's thinking about running. Um, mm-hmm. You know, running <laughs> running as, as a Trump <laughs> ca- uh, character.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good, actually. I'd like that. Yeah,
1: uh, uh, yeah SNL is pretty, is pretty good
0: yeah I don't know why they get so upset about that. I think it's quite quite funny um i i really like uh how he does that you know
1: yeah uh, he, he does it he does it very good, but you know Trump has no sense of humor, so no uh you can understand why his reaction to it in fact he wants to close it down <laughs> he wants yeah. to use the laws to, to yeah. close down comedy and satire
0: yeah only if it's against him
1: yeah exactly only if it's against him.
0: You know, and it's funny. Uh, you you've been writing um, now books on uh, really uh, gangsters or or mob and crime <clears throat> and drugs and all that area, and and I have always thought of uh, Trump in that same category.
1: Well, you know, there's, a lot, there's been a lot of written about um, not a lot, but there's has been stuff written about his connection to the mob to the mob. Uh, you know, and uh, loans and all that back in New York City. So it's kind of kind of interesting uh, in terms of uh, in terms of history. And uh, what's more what's more fascinating than a gangster, right? Yeah. Like Al Capone or Luciano or Pablo Escobar, you know, or even Al Chapo, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we just got sentenced last uh, in February, uh, you know or not sentenced, he was convicted, and his, he's got, June 25th, he's going to be, uh, sentenced, probably send the rest of his life in an American jail, but, uh, what's more fascinating than these guys, you know, and, uh, how they, um, become big-time, um, gangsters, I think, I think it's just fascinating, and why they do it, because they never get away with it, you know, you could count the, the number of gangsters that got away with it on one hand, you know, at that level, yeah. um, and, uh, but they do it, and, um,
0: well, I guess so, it's uh, worth yeah, the it's ride, a, you know.
1: Yeah, and so uh, I've, I've, been, I've been interested in you know in gangsters uh, all my life. I never started writing about them until I was in my uh, late thirties. Uh, and the way I got started about with, with uh, I went to Colombia on a press junket. Uh, they invited some journalists, and they were trying to uh, improve the image of the country because so they still thought they could have a tourist trade at that time. And that's when the war with Escobar and the state was going on. So anyways, I, came, I went down there and uh, didn't know anything about uh, the country. Uh, traveled all over the country. And on the last day, I uh, met a, a, a woman, and uh, uh, we had a blind date, and that turned into a marriage.
0: Oh. No. <laughs> <So, laughs> about,
1: about two years later. And uh, I, I was a Canadian, you know, I was Canadian, and I never thought I'd ever get my American citizenship, but I went ahead and got it. And because uh, it would it would have took forever to get her into the country, and so she came into the co- I got her into the country, and then she became American citizen later. And now, of course, I got dual citizenship uh, with, with Canada and the U.S. But uh, I kept going back and back. And uh, you know, the the war on drugs, uh, as far as it related to uh, Latin America, Colombia, get, get getting hotter and hotter And uh, I was getting assignments like crazy. You know, from from um, magazines and newspapers and. I was developing a, a network of contacts there that set me up with sources. I ended up interviewing three presidents of Colombia, and and uh, one vice president who was kidnapped by uh, by Escobar. In fact, uh, the president too Pastrana was kidnapped too by uh, by the Medellin cartel, and uh, it was just crazy. I mean, uh, the country was just it was it was it was, it was, it was like Iraq. Right. I, I mean, I remember sitting in um in a uh, in the house, my uh, uh, brother in law and uh, hearing a bomb go off, you know, uh, down about half a mile, maybe three-fourths of a mile down the street. And uh, it was, you know, it was very dangerous. You could get kidnapped for $25. Um, and, uh, and that happened that some people in the neighborhood, you know, my wife's family and all that. And uh, so I, from there, you know, I was doing all this right. I was, I was saying, well, Escobar goes down in... in in 93, uh, you know, he gets killed on a rooftop, and nothing had ever been done about the Cali cartel, who were the real powers in Colombia for a long time. I mean, not many people knew about them because they were very low-key. So, from there, I decided to do a, a book, you know, which took me about four or five years, because I was a professor at a uh, university, and so, you know, I, I had a full-time job, so I had to, and I couldn't get off uh, like I can now, being a full-time writer. So, I had to to uh, spread it out and finally get the book and then that set me off uh, in the area of uh, writing books about crime
0: when, and, you, uh, when when you're doing something like that like the um book on kelly and it takes you years um you have to get out there in the field and you have to get out there and, and be around all of these people that are Doing these things uh, um, I, now, do you find yourself scared at times, or do you worry about that kind of lifestyle? I always
1: ask that question, and uh, uh, I always say, "I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to take any. Chance, I'm not going to take any chances, you know." And I have been in situations where I, I just backed out because I thought it was uh, it was too dangerous. And you know, I've covered uh, Northern Ireland before. I I, I, did, I discovered Columbia, I, I was reporting on Northern Ireland, and I interviewed uh, IRA. Um, uh, ultra uh, volunteer uh, uh, individuals but that's the Protestant side in uh, Northern Ireland so I have a lot of experience in dealing with uh, the situations like that but uh, I have you know I have family there and I have friends there and uh, they had my best interest so uh, they, they would advise me you know about uh, interviews and um, I, I interviewed you know a lot of people like a DEA, for example uh, I never met a lot of the people who, the phone is a great way to do it and now you have skype right yeah you could do it on skype you have text uh you can text people you can do interviews complete interviews by, uh, via text on that so um uh, I, I was never in a situation where i was scared uh, i was a little nervous but that way which is a little different than scared uh, but uh you know uh i never had a a situation where somebody pulled a gun on me, like they've done on some journalists, on that. So maybe I was lucky.
0: Yeah, I would. I would think because you know, there's uh, people are doing bad things. Uh, how, how do you? How do you? When you? Okay. So when you're first going to get together and do something like this, and you decide you're going to write on a gangland, how do you? How do you approach it then?
1: Well, um, the way I, I normally do is, and the other great. Cool, of course is the internet right you've got the internet um, if I'm going to do a subject like say for example I'm going to do uh, a biography of a, of a gangster and I don't know too much about um, I'll get on the internet and, uh, and do a you know, so called Google search right uh, and uh, try to find out as much background as I can and uh, I'll go to I, I'm, a, I'm a former I'm a trained librarian I have a master's degree in librarianship and a master's in archival administration if there's one thing I know something about, it's research, right? Yeah. And so uh, I'll end up going to uh, to the library and I'll check some of the databases on the uh, magazines um, and newspapers and uh, just collect everything I can on that, and then um, you know check um, uh, for books. You know, get check see what books are out there on the subject. Hopefully, not much has been written book wise. That means that your your field is open and uh, makes a better possibility of um, of selling a book. And then I'll, I'll, I'll read everything, you know, and then make notes. I'll, I'll look at uh, names of people, who should I who should I interview, uh, possible uh, subject, you know, break down the chapters on that, um, and maybe places I have to go. And then uh, after I do that, I develop a strategy uh, on how I'm going to uh, tackle, you know, tackle the project. And uh, it may involve some travel, so I'll have to try to arrange that. And... Uh, and then um, at some point I'll, I'll decide that uh, I have enough material or I can't find any more material. Something that, that happens too. You know, you exhaust what's, what's available out there and then uh, and I'll sit down and, uh, and write. And uh, I actually like the writing part of the process better than the, the research, which is kind of weird because I am trained as a researcher. But I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the, the writing part of it a lot and, um, and uh, you know, putting all that information together. And into something that's uh, people can enjoy and uh, get something
0: out of. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, you, you know, with with a lot of these um, uh, programs that that talk about these type of gangland and drug cartels and all those stuff, uh, the shows and the movies and stuff, do you find that most of it's pretty accurate when they portray the lifestyle? Uh,
1: you know, I've, I've done a lot of those. I've been on practically every, every cable channel, you know, doing something on in there. Uh, in fact, I think I'm, I'm on a program every week. I'm on some programs <laughs> because they keep running them. And uh, it's really weird. I'll get a Facebook message, hey, I saw you on TV. And I say, what? And I, I think about it. Oh, yeah, that's probably one of those old programs. I ask them what it is. And it's been like uh, eight years. Um, I've had mixed success with, um, you know, with these programs because they call me on you know, to be an expert talking head, right? I'm supposed to know something about the subject. And uh, when I first got started doing this, uh, Frank Lucas, you remember Frank Lucas, the movie American Gangster? Right. Uh, Yeah, right. And so he came out, Everybody thought he was God's gift to gangland, you know, his story was just amazing and true and all that sort of stuff. But I had researched it, and most of it was uh, BS. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so they invited me on, and uh, I was sort of, Contrary, you know, everybody else was coming up, and they didn't know what they were talking about because they hadn't researched them, and they were saying all these uh, these myths and you know uh, absurd stories about about what he had done and who he was and all that. And uh, essentially, they sort of censored me. Uh, you know, they took it took what you know, I said I say something like, "Oh, yeah, Frank Lucas was a genuine you know big time gangster," but they would put the first part, but they wouldn't do the second part, the butt part. And then I would explain, you know, why you know he wasn't as, as big as, as he says he was on that sort of stuff. So, um, and a lot of these, a lot of these shows, you know, uh, they're not really uh, uh, knowledgeable about crime. You know, the people that do the interviewing and all that, right. and uh, they know not just enough to do the show. And so, uh, a lot of times, uh, you'll see a lot of inaccuracies in the in the in the show, and uh, they don't really have. You know the time or the money to you know to, to correct the uh, uh, the errors that they make. So it's a mixed bag. Yeah. You know there are, there are some good shows, but um, uh, a lot of them you know uh, you have to take them with a grain of salt in terms right. of accuracy. Uh,
0: so so now I guess um, it's just true. You've got um, an interview coming up with uh, Chapo lawyer.
1: Yeah, uh, with uh, on my crime beat uh, show, uh, a friend. Um, suggested that I interview him. He, he's a fellow lawyer, and um, uh, I thought, well, I wouldn't get him. He wouldn't want to talk. And he didn't want to talk. I approached him at first because you know, the trial was going on, and that's natural. Lawyers don't talk while the trial's going on. But he said, um, catch, catch me after the trial. I'd, you know, I'd love to come on your show. I said, great. And so I, I, I checked him out and uh, waited, you know, and the, the trial ended. And um, El Chapo lost. You know, they lost the case, and I contacted him again, and uh, and uh, he said, uh, "Yeah, so we're going to talk about, you know, I'll chapel the man who he is, and uh, and uh, a little bit about what happened in the trial, and then they're going to appeal." There was a, a vice uh, article that came out uh, right uh, after the trial, which talked, to, which uh, revealed that uh, a lot of the jurors were, were accessing the media while the trial was going on which is a no-no, right? You know, yeah. you're supposed to fuck you know, that out. And, and they had their own opinions, you know, about uh, Al Chapo being guilty and all that. And, you know, he, he's a big-time gangster and all that, but he, you know, everybody gets a fair, a fair trial, right, in, in America. In America that's the principle. So uh, he thinks that he has um, uh, a good chance of uh, getting, uh, I don't think, the, you know, the verdict or not, maybe another trial with El with Chapo. We'll see what happens on that. And of course, he was he was big time. Uh, he was essentially worth about uh, they estimated about 14 billion dollars when uh, when he was arrested. And uh, he, you know he's a, a product of what happened in the drug war. What I what I was researching because uh, the success of what happened in Colombia with the takedown of the Medellin cartel and Pablo Escobar and the Cali cartel with the Rodriguez Arguela brothers who headed them. Uh, led to Mexico becoming the power in the drug trade, you know, and that's why we have all these big-time Mexican drug traffickers, you know, from the mid-90s on that uh, that have flooded the U.S. with uh, with drugs. And that's a, that's an example too of the absurdity on the war on drugs, because uh, I think it's much worse now, right, having having the center of the drug trade right on your border than it was in Latin America in Colombia.
0: Right, right, and uh, are they as well controlled too now? Mexican uh, drug lords? Well,
1: yeah, yeah, they're they're everywhere. I mean, uh, I saw one report where there were uh, they estimated that the Mexican cartels uh, and there's so many of them, you know, because the drug trade is so lucrative. Uh, they're in over 200 cities. They're they're entrenched in 200 cities, you know, and it's not just uh, cocaine now. You know, opioids. Methamphetamine, you know, the methamphetamine uh, trade was largely uh, epidemic, which uh, you know started in the 90s and has, has hit the United States big. is largely uh, a Mexican uh, gangster uh, phenomenon. You know, they're, they're largely responsible for that. So the whole situation has gotten worse. And of course, in Mexico, the corruption, you know, is is just as bad as it was uh, in Colombia. Um, in the trial of Al Chapo. There was a report, somebody accused the uh, former president of um, Mexico, Nieto, of taking a $100 million bribe for, for, uh, for letting uh, El Chapo go on that $100 million bribe, they said. Of course, he denied it, and uh, I don't know if there's any further investigation on it, but it just goes to show you the power of the cartels, continuing power of the cartels, because that's the way it was in Colombia.
0: Yeah. Now Colombia was, had had a big a gang war between Escobar and and yeah. the police, right? And yeah. that that left thousands dead. Um are, do you, do you think that that's going to happen again?
1: Well, it's been happening. I mean, there's always conflict going on, you know, with uh, uh, conflict going on between between uh cartels, you know, fighting each other for territory. Uh, in the uh in the Colombia uh Aspect of this this whole thing is really interesting because eventually, at the end of this war, uh, I call it I call it the biggest gang war in history. It pitted the, the Medellin cartel against the Cali cartel on a war of survival. Everybody was against Escobar because he had ticked everybody off. You know the way he had uh, dealt with people, killing his rivals, uh, except you know backstabbing them and all that. And so it, it became a war. You know where the state. And, and the gangsters essentially were, were allies in, in the war against Escobar, and they finally took him out. And uh, and he, you know, he was alone at the end with one one bodyguard, and uh, was killed on a rooftop. But it was essentially, you know, the, the Delta Force of the U.S. You had the Colombian National Police, and you had. Uh, the Cali Cartel with his intelligence, you know, going against that shows how powerful he was. And they all went against Escobar, and um, eventually, uh, you know, he was taken down. But it didn't mean anything because all event was that the Cali Cartel were now the, the kingpins of the of the drug trade, and they had they, they, they had been the, the kingpins, uh, you know, long before Escobar left the scene. You know, uh, there was estimates that by the early 90s, they had 90% of the cocaine trade. And, but they were very, they were very shrewd about how they went about um, uh, operating. You know, they, they kept a low profile. They they tried to portray themselves as as gentlemen. You know, um, los caballeros uh, de Cali, yeah. and um, uh, you know they they preferred the have you heard this expression the, the bribe over the bullet. You know, they preferred to bribe somebody, but they were just as vicious if they had to be. And uh, you know, they, they corrupted the country. They almost won the election. Uh, it could have been the first micro-democracy in, in history. Uh, in the mid-'90s, uh, they put sixty-six million million into uh, Ernesto Samper, who was a presidential candidate, uh, into his campaign. And if it wasn't for a, uh, the, the revelation of a cassette that was given to uh, Pastrana, who, who was uh, uh, you know running against him, um, maybe uh, the Cali cartel could have had a foothold in the Colombian government on that. But that turned, you know, the tide against, the beginning of the tide against uh, the Cali cartel, and um, eventually they were taken down.
0: So so where does Colombia sit as far as uh, um, this type of uh, drug activity now um, that Mexico is so big? Uh, Well,
1: (laughs) Um, could you believe this? Everybody heard of Med- the Medellin Cartel, right? Yeah. And it's based in Medellin. Medellin is the number one um, retirement destination for Americans, according to the AARP. A- a- <laughs> you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. They're the number one destination. So a lot of Americans are retiring in the former stronghold of, um, of Pablo Escobar, where the Medellin Cartel. And uh, Colombia has changed. Immensely. I mean, it's unbelievable how it's changed. When I when I was going there um, for a long period of time, I couldn't go more than ten miles outside of Bogota, which is the capital where my family lived, because uh, the guerrillas were operating, and uh, my family was scared of uh, was afraid that uh, I would be kidnapped, you know. And so I never went there. Now you could travel anywhere. You know, you could pretty well travel anywhere in Colombia, and uh, the kidnapping is down. And uh, essentially, you know, the, uh, the Colombian uh, traffickers that followed the, the Medellin and the Cali cartel said, look, this is crazy, you know, uh, it makes you too uh, exposed. And so what they did was they turned the, essentially the trade over to, to the, um, the Mexicans, and they just supply the, you know, the, uh, the cocaine and the Mexicans distribute it. And so the Mexicans are the ones now, of course, they make more money, too, you know that, but it's it's more low key. You know, the drug trade in Colombia is more low key. Although there always you know always be a problem. You know, with with drugs because it's you know so prevalent.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and so you know, I guess the the war on drugs that Reagan started, or even before him. Well, actually, it was Nick, Nixon really. Nixon, it was, yeah,
1: in the, in the early in the mid seventies. Um, you know, and it's always been tied to politics. Uh, Nixon declared. War because you know he needed uh, you know a, a political issue and the same thing with Reagan he uh, he was not doing too well in the midterms in '82 and so he, he came up with this and uh, essentially militarized you know the uh, the war on drugs and I hate that expression war on drugs we're dealing with a social problem drug abuse right it's not yeah. a war you know what I mean yeah, and it, it's a crazy term and also use the term war on drugs it means that you know somebody's got to lose somebody's got to win. And, you know, the drug issue is not like that. It's more nuanced, you know, than that in terms of dealing with it. So uh, on that. But, yeah, so uh, it's essentially been the strategy, uh, you know, since since the uh, mid-'70s. And if you look at the way money's spent, you know, more than two-thirds of the money is, is spent on trying to combat supply and only one-third on treatment. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I think it's been a wrong... Wrong-headed approach. It hasn't hasn't done anything except uh, lead to a loss of, of, of life and spending millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars, wasting billions of dollars. You know, beating your head against the wall, uh, trying to come up with uh, uh, an answer that uh, really can't uh, can't be uh, you know given. I mean, in that way. So uh, yeah, it's. But fortunately, you know, it's it's changing now. Marijuana is legal in Canada, right?
0: Yes all the way
1: and here in the in the u s and uh, medical marijuana is getting the respect that it, it deserves because we all know that it, it does have medicinal properties, and so that's that's the beginning you know it's it's, it's uh, you still have uh, Neanderthal forces at work you know that uh, trying to turn turn it, turn the clock back but uh to what you know the situation that we had which, which doesn't uh which hasn't really solved anything and, and hasn't led to any change, you know, in the uh, um, uh, so-called war on drugs.
0: Yeah. And, and what, so where do you see it all going now? Uh, do you think Mexico is going to be kind of the center of it all, or is, it, is that yeah. going to fall apart yeah. or what?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, <laughs> the, big, the big drug cartels now are, are the pharmaceutical companies, right? <laughs> you know, they're the ones that are responsible for the opioid crisis. You know, as as we've seen. So, you know, it's the problem's even worse now because you've got you've got these legal drugs, you know, that are that are being abused, and you have you know big pharmaceutical manufacturers that are helping, you know, to create the problem in order to make big money. So, you know, it's never going to go away. You know, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be, you know, drugs of some kind, right? You just look at the history of. Uh, on drugs, the way drugs, you know, shifted from one drug to another. Uh, co- uh, cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, ecstasy. Um, you know, even in the 60s, LSD was there for a while. So, um, And it's just part of man's makeup, right? They want to hide. Reality is too, too tough for, for a lot of people, and they want to deal with it. And the right away, whether it's alcohol or drugs or religion or whatever, you know, they'll, they'll come up with something to help make... Um, a reality a little more palpable.
0: Yeah, an escape, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an escape, yeah. That, that. But, you know, uh, I've always, my philosophy has been, or my view has been, uh, you know, harm reduction, you know, because I was in the Netherlands and I, I studied there. I interviewed a whole bunch of people back in the 90s and their, their whole approach is harm reduction. You know, we're, we're a puritanical society, given our history and we want to stamp out sin, right? And, uh, yeah. But they're a little different. They want to control it, and so they look at uh, the drug problem. Is that we can never get rid of it? It's like prostitution. You know, you can't get rid of prostitution. So what they do. They put you know the prostitutes in the area, the red light district, and control it. You know, give them, give them tests, cut down the venereal uh, uh, um, disease and that sort of stuff. And uh, that's what they've done with uh, with, with drugs. You know, re- reduce the harm, reduce the harm, and um, and what I see and uh, what I've read and uh, what I hear it uh, it's worked
0: yeah it seems to be it seems to be a better pr- approach you know even Portugal's done that with um, yeah Portugal. legalizing
1: yeah heroin with uh, you know giving out uh, needles for example right
0: yeah
1: on that then and and, um, and Canada is becoming a leader right here yeah yeah. We, we, yeah
0: we do that all the time um, yeah and uh, they're also, they are also have the beer places that they. you can go in as an alcoholic and they treat you, they give you liquor, and uh, it's all timed and watched. and, uh, and Yeah. Uh, there's all sorts yeah, that's of harm,
1: that, that, That's what I call harm reduction. Yeah. Right? You know, trying to reduce the harm to the person and to society, on that sort of thing. Yeah. It's kind of a kind of ride because, you know, I, I'm a product of the 60s, so, you know, I had I my cheer of drugs and all that. But I don't even, you know, even think about marijuana anymore and all that sort of stuff. So I have no personal interest, you know, in it myself, you know, because I don't, I don't uh, use drugs. But I, I really think that, uh, you know, this whole movement now towards legalization is really good, and it's really a, a beneficial change that that uh, is going to lead us in a better direction as a society.
0: Well, it's, you know, hopefully it all goes in the right direction. So. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, how long you, what, what further are you going to do on, on this type of research? Are you going to keep on going through the Mexican cartels or, okay. and pursue that, or are you um, going a different direction?
1: Well, I go about 120 years old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, well, actually, uh, I'm still interested in the subject. Uh, I've got a really good possibility of doing a book with an English. Um, drug lawyer, I can't talk about it because he's still in prison. I don't want him to get out of prison. But I'm, I'm more interested in screenplays now. You know, so I've been uh, writing, you know, screenplays uh, on, uh, on crime. And uh, so I, that I'm, I'm moving in a new direction, I guess the the way to put it, in terms of my, my writing. But I'm still interested in crime. You know, I'm still interested in, in the whole sub- subject of, of crime, and uh, I'll be writing about it, but I'll be doing, like, screenplays. And eventually, I hope to uh, write a novel. You know, I've got some ideas, but there's only you know, so many hours in a day, right? And right. You got to make a living. That's yeah. Something uh, that uh, that makes money. You know, puts puts food on the table. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm um, uh, going to write uh, maybe one book, more, more book, I think, if this if this works out with the uh, the English um, drug lord, and if that works out, then. I think I'll I'll do that, but I, I definitely uh, w- want to see my my name on the screen, big <laughs> screen, because it's always been a you know a, a dream of mine, you know, ever since I saw Roy Rogers as a kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I you know, all that. When I was growing up, and uh, I always thought it would g- be great to see your name on a on a big screen. That's you know, that's not what I'm going to do.
0: Well, keep on working, and it might happen.
1: Uh, yeah, you I know, I should you're going to be on my show, right?
0: Um, yeah, someone's someone's forcing me to be. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah I'm I'm booked on in uh, April yeah. 18th.
1: April 18th. Yeah. Uh, I, and we have we have a little chat. You are you are a resident, resident expert on Canada. So <laughs> I come here, and you give the Canadian perspective what's happening in America oh. for about five minutes, and, and we appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, it's an endless thing going on. So. Yeah on yeah. that
1: then. Yeah. But but uh but anyways um, I appreciate being on.
0: Yeah, and what's what's now give people your um uh contact information or website and all okay. that so they can find the it. W
1: website www, uh, dot ron R O N C H E P E S I U K dot com. That's uh that's my uh my website. Uh that's probably the best place uh to go. Uh, gather information. I'm on Facebook too. If you're on Facebook, uh, you know, friend me. I'm a very friendly guy, and I'll, I'll friend you back, and uh, we can go from there.
0: <laughs> you're like Joe Biden.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> except less touchy, <touchy-touchy>. touchy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. come on. oh. I, I should mention too that the Crime Show artistverse.com is the is the Crime Show where where Alan will be on, and uh, this week uh, we got. Uh, uh, Chapel's lawyer, so that that should be interesting.
0: Really interesting stuff you do, yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And uh, we'll have, of course, that, and we have uh, your books and site put on our site as well, so people can just oh, click on it. And you know, got a great written. show, and I'm great being on. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Ron. It's always a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thank you, then, and uh, good luck with your writing too.